I went back to New Zealand. I think it's everyone's first instinct when there, whenever there's a uh, world crisis going on, that you'd want to be near family and stuff, you know. So went back to um, family and friends, and that's because in case anything happens, you want to be there and uh, just yeah, especially for like your psyche too, it's just good. But yeah, it was relaxing, mate. I was on the farm, mate, doing farm work. Had a bit of a farmer's tan going on for a little bit, just from here down. It was really brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. The cows are doing good, though, mate. The cows are doing good. Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. Mandatory workouts have begun at the Thunder Ion, and Nick and I have had the chance to hear from several players as well as Coach Donovan since our last podcast. We're here to update you on everything we've learned, like the Thunder's main priority going into Orlando, the scrimmage schedule, and don't you worry, we've got an update on Stephen Adams' farm animals. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. Well, for the first time since March, the Thunder has had player media availability. And Nick and I had the chance to speak to Billy Donovan, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. We got a chance to talk to Steven when he came back from New Zealand and Danilo, who we've had on the podcast. But still, Nick, I don't know about you. I speak for myself here, but it was really good to see their faces. You know, I'd been kind of having separation anxiety, not being able to check in with these guys, see what they're up to, ask them silly questions. Uh, so it's been great to just catch up with them, talk to them uh, like we normally have. Uh, and as you guys heard off the top, Stephen Adams, in his classic way, had some very fun things to describe his experience uh, in New Zealand with. So it was, it's been great. And we'll get to those updates a little later. He had some some great things to to inform the media about. But we got a chance to talk to the players because the Thunder and the league have begun mandatory workouts. and. For the Thunder, that didn't really mean much because the entire team had already been taking advantage of time in the Thunder Ion. Life looks a little bit different, but mandatory workouts weren't really a new thing for them since players had already been in there prior to that point. Yeah, uh, it's really great that this Thunder team can kind of hit the ground running. And one of the main themes that we heard from the players was just how much work had been going in on the front end. We'll talk a little bit more about Danilo, but he in particular highlighted that he knows that this Thunder team, in terms of the mental aspect of the game, some of the things physically that they were doing, they've been taking this time away from the game during the hiatus very seriously so that they're ready to come play once these games start again. He said, you know, hearing from some other former teammates from around the league that maybe some other teams haven't been doing quite as much as the Thunder has been both in the physical sense and mentally. He also talked about the fact that they've been studying film. I mean, they're weekly Zoom meetings. They're, they're staying in ch- touch with one another and really trying to keep hold of everything that they had before the season stopped in March. Now, the workouts that are happening on the court are not normal whatsoever. <laughs> they're not, you know, one-on-one or two-on-two or three-on-three, any of that. It's one-on-zero right now weight room, you know, their, their distance, they've got their times that they're slotted to come in. And, you know, there's a bunch of basketball hoops on the court inside uh, the Thunder Ion where they practice. So at least they can get a lot of guys on the court at the same time shooting at a rim, but just not at the same rim at the same time. (laughs) So uh, it's been a little bit different for these guys, you know, 
film sessions can't have those all in the same room either. So they're figuring out different ways to be able to look over film and do the mental side of, of things, as you mentioned, Paris. That was one of the most interesting things hearing about from Shay and Danilo and Steven was how different life in the Thunder Ion is. I mean, Shay said it, he was, there's no messing around. It's get in, do your work and get out. So you come in and you have one hour in the weight room and then you have one hour on the court with two coaches max, a passer and a rebounder. And that's it. Then you leave. There's no hanging around in the locker room, no no congregating, you know, to get food. It's get in, get your work done and get out. Life is a lot different. I'm sure that's really hard for these guys because they're so used to just having their practice facility be kind of their home away from home, their dorm sort of where they get to hang out with all the guys. Uh, I remember Andre Robertson telling me he just likes to come and hang out the facility when he's got nothing else to do because he knows he's got people there to just hang out with. Honestly, that was one of my favorite parts of like being on a team. It's those little like pockets of downtime outside of practice. I mean, just going back to my college days, one of my favorite places to be was just in the locker room. I mean, there were couches in there and you knew that like that was your spot where you could hang out with your teammates. And that's where life outside of basketball happened. Those are your best friends. And we've heard it from these guys. You spend more time with them than you do with your own family. So, you know, not being able to have those, you know, downtimes and and pockets of time outside of practice with each other, it's, it's a little different and something to get used to. We're slated to talk to Dort on Monday evening. And so I'm curious to see what it's been like for him coming back to be with the guys and have them celebrate the fact that he's got this full-time contract now. He's officially on the roster. Obviously, huge difference financially for him uh, than when he was on that two-way deal. So uh, we'll get to talk to him later this afternoon. Uh, and then the team will be here in OKC up until Wednesday afternoon uh, when they take off for Orlando. Heading to Orlando on Wednesday, and th- things will obviously be a little different going into Orlando, but we got a chance to talk to Shay and Danilo, like like we mentioned off the top, and Shay and Danilo both mentioned that, you know, they're going to have to focus on the the team. They're going to have to focus on each other and helping each other out going into Orlando. This time that they have before the season starts back up is so valuable and so critical. And we also learned the three teams that the Thunder will play before the restart of the abbreviated season. And Danilo said that those three games are going to be so important, more important than the normal preseason scrimmages in any regular season. These are going to be even more critical because there is no workout that can replace or replicate an NBA game. It just, there's nothing like it. The only way to stay in game shape is to play games. Yeah. So much of the physical stuff that would normally be happening. I mean, just bodying a guy with a shoulder, backing somebody down into the post, screening somebody, uh, all of those things are not happening right now. So they've got to get into these scrimmage type situations to, for the guards to feel those screens being shoved into their shoulders, you know, multiple times a game and, and the big men, you know, boxing out and, and that type of thing. So uh, Danilo's right. Those, those experiences are going to be crucial. He has a ton of experience in these types of situations though, Paris. <laughs> That's right. I mean, for the every every summer since he was 14 years old, Danilo has participated in 
Italian national basketball, FIBA World Cup basketball. And that isn't a completely different experience in NBA basketball. It is life revolving around your sport. You're with your team 24-7. And he's been doing that every summer since he was 14 years old. So having that experience of being with your team 24-7, life revolving around basketball, no fuss, no extracurriculars, you eat with your team, you go to play ball, you practice twice a day sometimes. That's something that he's used to and also something that Chris Paul has some experience in too with the 2008 and the 2012 Olympics. Similar experiences and situations as what the team's going to face in Orlando. Yeah, my assumption is the Olympic Village, while obviously less restrictive than you know it would be in this bubble situation, it probably will resemble somewhat you know what this looks like. A lot of the teams all staying together in the same hotels. You're really kind of a lot of security lockdown. Uh, and so, you know, I think Chris Danilo and, and Dennis Schroeder also, who's a, a regular for the German national team, all three of those guys may be able to kind of help steady the ship as the team gets to Orlando to make sure guys kind of feel comfortable with what's coming at them. Uh, but as Danilo mentioned, these guys are going to then have to go and live in that bubble themselves and they'll get used to it pretty quickly. And, and hopefully guys will just be able to kind of smoothly transition. That's what I found really interesting when I asked Danilo about this, because I was just curious, like would him and Chris be able to help out with the younger players who maybe never had this experience before of just being in a place with your team and playing basketball with nothing else. And he was like, we could help for a little bit, but really once you start playing basketball, things are going to iron themselves out. And that's what we love. That's what we love to do. That's what we know to do, play basketball. So the fact that, you know, you cut everything else out, I think it'll be really easy for the guys to adjust once you start getting into a rhythm of basketball 24-7. The guy that really spoke to that, uh, and I think proves Danilo's point, is SGA. He said he's a hooper. And I think he said it like two or three times. (laughs) His whole interview that we did with him last week uh, over uh, Microsoft Teams, he just was totally focused on basketball. People threw him questions about all sorts of different things. And really what he kept coming back to is I really just want to play. Um, So so it seems like he's focused. He uh, he's in, in that mode early in his career where he's still kind of this burgeoning player that's, you know, hopefully developing into kind of a star level player. And he is all focused on the game. And really, if you think about Orlando, that is going to be a Hooper's dream because all there is going to be to do is to play ball. And and that's what Shea mentioned to us was that he played pretty much the whole time. At first, when, when everything first got going, he w- played majority of the time outside. And then when things started to open back up, Jim started to open back up, he transitioned to the inside. But he could not get away from basketball. And that's why he was so eager and excited and had no second thoughts when it came to restarting the season. He was so excited about just hooping again. Forget everything else. I'm just ready to start hooping again. I think that this team like, is really anxious to recapture that mojo that it had. Uh, I think every year each team kind of finds the narrative of the season that they buy into, they believe in. One thing he pointed to was that the heave, the, the pass from Steven Adams to Dennis Schroeder, that that was a, like a catalyzing moment and experience for the team and really a turning point where early in the season they were kind of up and down, had not played super great, and then that was a turning point where they really felt like, okay, we can, we believe in ourselves. This is something that we can do on a night in night out basis is come back from being down, win games that maybe we ought not to win. Uh, and it's important 
for a team to buy into that type of narrative, something that galvanizes them throughout the course of the season. Uh, so it's nice that even, you know, almost seven months after the events of the heave, uh, Shea is still kind of buying into that. And the whole team is, and that's, I think that's why you see everybody coming in before it was mandatory to be in the ion. You see all 17 players taking advantage of the opportunity to get on the floor, buying into the mentality of we want to play and we're a team that we know we have to do this together in order to be successful. Shay mentioned in his press conference that, you know, this chemistry is what makes us special. And we all realize that. And one of the things Nick, that really stuck out to me was coach Donovan's focus before going into Orlando is that chemistry. It's really maintaining that cohesion that they have, I think both on and off the floor, but off the floor wise, they need that because this is such an unprecedented situation that they're going into. Things are going to look so different that in order to navigate that, their only way they're going to get through it is to do it together. And so to maintain that same level of cohesion, same level of chemistry off the floor that they had in March, that's going to be the main priority going into Orlando. Don't you think this has got to be such an interesting time to be a head coach? Because you think you know what your team's going to look like. You saw what they look like for a few months. But now coming back, you have no idea what they're really going to look like. It's kind of like when I went home to Nashville and for, I thought I was going to be there for two weeks, but then I was, ended up being there for two months. I came back. I have no idea what my fridge is going to look like. <laughs> I don't know what state I left my fridge in. And I came back to a couple of surprises, but I imagine it's around that feeling. You know, much like the team, you're going to find out just how disciplined you were before you <laughs> left and whether some of those habits that you needed to have really stuck and, uh, and all that. So, no, but I, I think that will be kind of the fascinating subplot is, you know, did the team do the work that it needed to do? And what even was the right work? I think there's so much uncertainty coming that you don't know what exactly the types of things you needed to focus on. So, uh, you know, one thing that, that I think the Thunder as an organization, maybe a little bit higher above like 3,000 foot view is this team needs to be prepared, not necessarily to handle specific types of adversities, but to be able to handle adversity in general. It's how is the organization, how is the team going to react when things get thrown their way? Not necessarily specifically nitty gritty when a team plays a certain type of style, but it's about the ethos and the general vibe of the team. Uh, you know, will, will they fold? Will they be creative? Will they be aggressive? Will they take chances? Or will they kind of clam up? Uh, will they do what they know how to do from a fundamental perspective? Or will they kind of be a loose cannon? I think some of those things are maybe for more from a mindset standpoint, what the organization is focused on. And that explains a lot why, why that aspect of this team is the main priority of building going into Orlando. And also, Nick, here's the other thing. When you're away from the team from that long, you, I mean, picking up basketball and NBA speed again after a whole year, that, that might take some time, but that'll get there. And what I'm curious about are those subtle tendencies that, you know, the team works so hard to build up on. I mean, I'm thinking how quickly Nerlens rolls out of pick and rolls or, you know, the timing on Ludort's back cuts, you know, those little things that 
players figure out about each other over the course of a season? How long will it take for those things to get ironed back out so that it's more fluid when you get back into the regular season? The good news, though, is, is that all 22 teams that are coming into this are experiencing the exact same thing. The Thunder is not alone in that. Here at the Thunder, we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is we know who the Thunder will be playing in their three scrimmages before their official season restart. Those three games are against Boston, Philly, and Portland. And as we mentioned, the team leaves for Orlando on Wednesday. They'll begin their abbreviated regular season on August 1st against the Jazz. But before then, they'll play these three teams to get warmed up and ready to go for the regular season. I believe all three of those teams are staying in the same hotel as the Thunder. So that makes it kind of easy for them to be near each other on the practice courts. These games are also coming every other day, 24th, 26th, 28th. That is really going to be great for the Thunder in terms of simulating that rhythm that you're going to get once you get into the seeding games and then into the playoffs as well. We're kind of reading the tea leaves that those games are going to come every other day. So they need to get that type of experience physically. They got to take that toll to be able to play one day, day off, play again the next day. So getting a little bit of that uh, in before these games start coming, the ones that really count, that's really important. Uh, And then also I think just honing a lot of those things that we just talked about, being able to get some timing down. You know, it's one thing, Paris, you know this, when you're in practice and the scout team knows what play you're about to run. They know exactly how to defend it. You know what plays coming when you're defending the the other team's plays. But when it's, you know, mano y mano and you're actually in a scrimmage with another team, it is a totally different animal. And just getting back into a rhythm of game day and what that looks like, you know, what time you eat, scheduling, and all of all those little nuances that you go into a game day, you know, your pregame superstitions, getting those, knocking the rust off of those, getting ready to go out and play. Yeah, just like these guys got to get their motor skills going, you know, Paris, we got to get our fingers ready to transcribe, ready to write. We got we to gotta be on top of things as well. And getting adjusted to the new environment. I mean, we've had a little bit of practice. Our, our media availabilities are no longer face-to-face. They're all over Microsoft Teams, as you mentioned. So, you know, getting adjusted to the new environment while also getting back into the rhythm of typing 100 miles an hour. Yeah, it'll be interesting for us because, you know, all these games we're used to being at. Um, and neither of us are traveling to Orlando. Uh, all the broadcasts are going to be done from back here in OKC. So we're going to have to be watching and analyzing these games distantly as well. That's going to be, it's going to be fascinating, I think. You know what I am going to miss, Nick, is planning my, my game day outfit around, <laughs> around game days. And so for Thunder fans, I, I preface this with, we found out the team's uniform schedule in Orlando as well. This is a pretty cool update. And Fun to hear that they'll be wearing the City Edition jerseys three times while in Orlando. So that'll be really cool. And knowing this schedule, I can plan my game day outfits. I think I'm still going to go through with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're going to have some gold maybe for the the city uniforms. You got some sunset colors that you're going to do because the Thunder's going to wear those statement sunset jerseys a number of times as well while they're down there. Absolutely. Good good news, though, is that they only wear the association uniform one time, so I only have to plan for white only one time. Okay, very good. (laughs) 
it is now time for Made You Look. And what made Nick and I look is everything that Chris Paul has on his plate. I mean, to be honest, Nick, I think he I think he could be doing a little bit more. He's only serving as the NBPA president and helping them restart the season, leading the Thunder team back to Orlando and working out and staying in game shape. And now he's serving as a producer for a docuseries about HBCUs. I don't know. I think he could do a little bit more. My this guy stays busy. By the way, he has like a wife and kids and family. He's <laughs> Not like, to mention a family. Right. They live in Los Angeles. He's like back and forth to okay see when he can be so i don't know how he makes it all work he has more family that's back in north carolina uh, which i think is kind of where his affinity and his recognition of hbcus comes from he grew up in winston-salem north carolina played at wake forest university which obviously a a big time acc school but just down the road is winston-salem state university uh, which is an hbcu that was founded in 1892 it's actually the the youngest of the hbcus in north carolina so just to give you some perspective on how long these schools have been around that 1892 was the most recent of the hbcus in in north carolina that was founded um and and so chris has really done a great job through his career but i think particularly this year it feels like he's really stepped up his game in terms of highlighting hbcus and that's it's something that's so close to his heart because he's the only one in his family who didn't go to an HBCU. I mean, you've got, like you said, Winston-Salem, you've got North Carolina A&T up there. I mean, he's always representing HBCUs and he is really a, a big advocate for building up what who they are and what they bring to the table. And Nick, we have Langston in Oklahoma, and he reps Langston stuff all the time. It's the only HBCU in our state. and He rocked just- that orange cap one day. That was nice. Exactly. And we had Matra Jones on one of our podcasts, an administrator at Langston, and she got to hint a little bit at what HBCUs offer and kind of the misconceptions that come with them and maybe why some top Division One athletes choose bigger schools over HBCUs and kind of highlighting the struggles that, that they face athletically. And I think this will be a really cool project to see when it come, when it gets finished of, you know, what are some of those things that HBCUs struggle with and what, what can be done to fix it? I'd like to just read a quote from Chris from the press release about uh, this docuseries that he's uh, a part of. He says, HBCUs historically have been at a competitive disadvantage with their basketball programs, facing many challenges with funding, recruitment, misperceptions, and exposure. With the current racial awakening in our country prompting young athletes to look at where they play, it's now more important than ever to shine a light on HBCUs and showcase their value in sports and society. We have come to that point in the podcast where we want to bless your timeline. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the update you've all been waiting for. Steven Adams cows are doing all right. (laughs) Our guy, the long locked seven footer kiwi he gave us a whole rundown of what his hiatus was like he went back to the farm back to the farm outside taranga in new zealand uh he grew up in a little town called rotorua but his uh far his family's farm is outside of taranga which is also on the north island he spends a ton of time in wellington which is a really like nice posh 
city at the very southern tip of the North Island of New Zealand. So this has been your New Zealand geography hour. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, Stephen went back. He hung out with his buddies. He saw his family. He had to quarantine for 14 days when he arrived in New Zealand uh, because the country was only allowing um, like legal residents to return back to the country during um, COVID. And uh, New Zealand, I think, early June uh, got to the point where they had zero active cases in the country. So things really kind of uh, lifted and, and there were fewer and fewer restrictions. So Stephen was able to get out and about. He was also able to stay in shape a little bit. And Nick, I could not contain my laughter for his answer to your question on what he was able to do to maintain, you know, the physical aspect of his job, which is boxing out, posting up, setting screens. His answer, I'm so glad we were doing this over Zoom so I could literally mute my line and not just cackle in front of all of the media. But his answer was hilarious. Well, I mean, I just wanted, I was curious. Physicality is so important to his game was he actually able to play like five on five pick up? Who was he going up against? It's not like he's got a lot of like NBA compadres down there. And he said that he's been boxing out cows, the cows that are on his farm. <laughs> like it still gets me. When he, like, it was Obviously he was being facetious about it, but it was just still just classic Steven Adams missed him a gym, a treasure. You know what I love is like uh, we've talked about Nane, the, uh, visual artist that's from Japan. Um, she helped do the cover art for Growing Up George, which is one of the OKC Thunder films. She's always like Johnny on the spot for like when Thunder stuff happens on the internet. She's got a drawing like like that about it. And of course, she had this drawing of Steven Adams boxing out a cow within like hours of this quote being released online. It was magical. It was so impressive too. When that when I saw that picture, I saved it, and I'm pretty sure like I, I have it. It's on my camera roll. I'm like waiting for the perfect time to like either print it out, set it as my screensaver, something. I don't know, but that is just a classic moment in following Stephen Adams. How do how does he just have how does he just come up with that stuff on the spot? You know, I, I think I think that's you're right. It just things arrive in his brain, and we have no idea where they come from. Also, I don't know why I was just so um, intrigued to see Steven on teams, like not in a media scrum setting. You know, I don't know why I assumed that it, it would just be funny to see him, you know, holding up his phone, the selfie mode, trying to, you know, answer media questions. But it was really cool to see his face, even if it was through teams. Yeah. I mean, he had his like Rick and Morty shirt on. He just seemed very, it was very casual. Hair down. Like, hey, yeah. Like, hey guys, come on. What do you want to talk about? Let's go. And somebody asked him whether, you know, it took him a long time to use, uh, like figure out Zoom and all that. And he was like, I'm not an idiot. Like I, I, I know how to press old. the button. Like, what? yeah, exactly. Guy's 26 years old. He's fine. He's still young, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But to see the picture that Nick and I were talking about, be sure to go to OKC Thunder Twitter page. And of course, go to OKCThunder.com to see Nick's article about Steven Adams' experience during the hiatus. You're going to want to read that. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer. And until next time, Thunder up and catch you later.
do you do you do that for games like do you plan your like tie no the only thing i do is i make sure that i'm not wearing a tie or suit combo that would resemble like the opposing team's colors uh, you know i don't want to seem like you know too much i'm like rocking thunder colors all the time um and i like to mix it up i like to wear different colors but you know i can't we can't be going to boston and i've got like a bright green tie on or something like that that just i don't think that's gonna fly that makes sense so basically we need to know the other team's jersey schedule yes, too. yeah that's that's essential <laughs>